Oh, welcome aboard. Welcome to Fishing Without Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations. Hey, we're looking for individuals who are looking to create themselves rather than find themselves. To look in life and reality from another perspective and view life as an epic adventure. There's no admittance fee required, only the honesty, open-mindedness, and the willingness to try. Join our conversation and get acquainted with an eclectic roster of guests. Expect the unexpected and get an assist into exploding into your life with full impact mindfulness. Welcome aboard, my friends. I'm Jim Ellermeyer. I'm a behavioral health therapist. And today, as always, I'm joined by my good friend, uh, co-host and producer of this program, Mr. Mike. Uh, Mr. Mike's with us. However, he's mute and uh, he can't talk today. No, I'm just teasing. That's, that's not a problem. So today we're joined by a renaissance woman uh we got acquainted through this young lady with through our twitter account uh, at without bait and as always we're looking for fascinating people who are willing to explode into their own lives who are willing to take risks who are willing to fall down and get back up again and have the courage to deal with fear and explore into their life and today we're joined by miss natalie it is so good to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, would you would you pronounce your last name for us? It sounds just absolutely beautiful. Yes, Ben Savanga. Ben Zavanga. Yes, wow. perfect. Oh yes, my gosh, you got Ben Zavanga. Wow, doesn't that just flow off your tongue? I always thought it did. Did you ever think you'd be a Ben Zavanga? <laughs> I was born one, so I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. It's always nice because uh, we deal with so many heavy dozen people in our life. It's mm-hmm. like that's pleasure to be with somebody that has a bit of playfulness about them. That's <laughs> nice cool. To be here. So uh, everyone's hatched and everyone's moved forward in time. And you have such an exciting journey that you've gone down many different paths. Uh, so tell us a little bit, tell us a little bit about where you hatched, where you were hatched at, Miss Natalie. Yeah. So it's so funny. I, I always find the universe is an interesting thing because I've been dealing with the idea of transition a lot in my life right now. And the way that you just introduced me, I just thought, wow, you know, that is really fitting to where my experience is right now. And it's almost like you're just picking up the energy that I'm, I must be giving off that, yeah, that things are changing, things are moving forward, and I'm excited about life. And What did you just say? I'm... I'm excited about ah, life. Ah, cool. <laughs> I am. Do you feel the tingle? Oh, oh yeah. I get the, the good chills, so I call Sometimes them. that's what we, we ask people. If they're not feeling the tingle of life, yeah. if they're not tingling in their right. life then perhaps uh, we might want to spend some more time together. Absolutely. Yeah. And so so my journey was, I, I, I grew up in Oakmont, Pennsylvania, so a little suburb outside of Pittsburgh, which was a really idyllic little place to to be. I, I, didn't, I don't think I appreciated it, obviously, at the time, because when you're a kid, you don't like that your family knows literally everybody in town, and so everybody's kind of your parent. <laughs> but looking back, it was such a wonderful neighborhood, and uh, there was so much love there for for me and my brother and my sister. But I ended up um, coming back into the city as an adult and uh, went to Pitt. Yes. Tell us about your experience at Pitt. Yeah, it was wonderful. I I studied, my undergrad uh, was in biology and philosophy, and I minored in chemistry, and I always loved science and math. Sounds brutal. It was, you know, it was intense, but people always say to me, well, philosophy and biology, that doesn't seem like they go together, but they actually went together beautifully. Um, because the one you're understanding the how of life and the other, you're really questioning the why of life, mm-hmm. you know? So they really integrated well. And I got into medical school and I thought that was going to be my path. And, um, I'd always been very, you know, academically minded. So I just thought, well, 
smart kids go to medical school. My dad's a doctor. My mom's a nurse. I guess I'm going oh, to medical school. Okay. But you know how you get those tingles in life, right? Well, that was probably my first true experience where I learned to listen to that inner voice. Just mm, say more about that. Yeah. So the inner voice, I think, is really interesting because now I learn, I think at this point in my life, I'm, I'm almost 35. I'll be 35 in April. I realize that that inner voice is really just my higher self telling me and talking to me. But when you're younger, I think you think that inner voice is more like your family or the people around you because you don't have that true sense of your own authority yet. But there was a voice inside of me that was saying, don't don't go to medical school. This, this is an important point. I'd like to stop you mm-hmm. right here for the folks who are listening yeah. to this show. Uh, most folks, unfortunately, have an inner critic inside their yeah. head that's giving them a poor review of their life mm-hmm. and their decisions. So some people call it higher self. Some people call it whatever. We like to call it your authentic self. I like that. And that's what, that's what we help people find is their authentic self. Yes. Oh, yeah. So say more about this authentic self talking to this imaginary person. Yeah. I, I think it, was, it wasn't even so much as uh, this, this higher self or more authentic self was talking to me as she was basically like badgering me because the more I tried to ignore it, the louder it got. Was she badgering you or challenging you? I think challenging me now mm. that I look back. But at the time, I was more frustrated than everything, than anything because I thought I knew my path. And I've always been somebody that liked having, when I was younger, I thought, you know, you need to have a path. You need to have a plan. That's how you find success. And uh, I was always just a very, I'm, I've always been a very organized person and, and, you know, diplomatic and very logical in the way I think. So let's go back just a moment and let's talk about your path to medical school. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about expectations. Sometimes, yes. sometimes we, and this is how we develop this concept of fishing without bait of a mm-hmm. lifetime without definitive expectations. Right. When we have, there's a paradox in 12-step recovery that says Mm. the higher my expectations, the lower my serenity. And the lower my expectations, the higher my serenity. So it sounds like you might have had some expectations. I'm not putting words into this. They were placed upon you or maybe you imposed upon yourself. Well, my mom always said to me that I was always the one that put the, the most expectation on myself. I was like that even when I was a tiny kid. I had to be first. I had to do everything right. And I don't really feel looking back like I, I love I mean, my, my parents were, you know, they pushed me to do my best, but I would not say that they were that critic in my mind. I definitely was my own critic. And um, the, the person that was pushing me like, no, you can't just get 100% on this test. You have to get 103%. Mm, okay. So there was a lot of that going on. And then when you go into a situation where you're applying for med school, and you're with with other people that are basically mirroring that energy back to you, it becomes all-consuming. And you really get caught up in what I realized looking back on it. I'm a competitive person. I realized I was doing this to win, not because I really necessarily wanted to do this because that was my mm, life's work. Yeah. You wanted to win that. That okay. prize, whatever the hell that meant, <laughs> you know, looking back, what the yeah. prize of not sleeping and stressing and well, that's that's you the know, idea. When but we, learning <laughs> when we talk about winning and we talk about the prize, first of all, we'd like to define that and what right. is it? And and I'm still searching for that. Good, you know, I certainly Good. don't have that answer yet. Good, <laughs> I'm getting a better idea of Good. it, but but you know, inner peace is part of that for me, and and finding happiness in things that aren't necessarily material, I think are important for me. So the idea is no one ever really owns anything. 
No. Okay. Everything can be taken away from you. Oh, yeah. Your house can burn down. Your yep. car can be stolen. Your business can fail. Mm-hmm. However, what stays with you is your character. That's right. And then working towards building a, a person of integrity that you can look in the mirror and feel good about. That's That was something I think my parents instilled in me because my mother in particular never focused on outer appearance, which I look back on that now and I'm so grateful for that. She's, she always used to me, it's nice to be pretty. It's much more important to be kind and compassionate and loving towards people. And so those were the ideals I grew up with and, and that I think have really you know, cemented themselves into, into That's the core a difficult of who I am. concept when you're 13 or 14 years old and you're in Absolutely. school and everyone is comparing themselves to others by the way that they look. Oh, and I was incredibly bullied in middle school. Middle school was a very difficult time for me. Um, it was really, really bad. But, you know, my parents refused to let me leave school and they refused mm. to let me be homeschooled. And they, my mom said, look, you're going to face a lot of tough things in your life and you have to learn to deal with it. And I, I remember being really upset at them at the time because I really was being bullied really badly. But looking back again, everything's perspective, right? So I, I'm is, grateful for those challenges. This is the type of message that we're particularly looking to get mm-hmm. out. When people deal adversity, it's not about mainly people say, we'll get over it, ignore them, things like that. That's right. impossible. No, you can't. So it's really important to share with people, here's how I did this. Yes. And how it so fueled tell, you. Tell us about that. Well, at the time, I think the part of the problem was, you know, when you're when you're 12 years old <laughs> and you're going into a new school and you're leaving all of your friends and you're developed ahead of all the other girls physically, mm-hmm. <laughs> it immediately brings you into a situation where uh, there's a lot of slut shaming. You don't even understand that because you're 12. And then on top of it, you're academically levels above. And so you're breaking up the curve for the class. So no one's getting a better grade. Because of, and then the teachers are praising you in front. of. So it was a combination of, you know, the smart girl who's also, you know, they, jealous, they projected and say, let's throw stones at Natalie. Yeah. And then the boys jump on too, but they're sexually harassing you. Right. And then you throw in a priest or two and they're sexually harassing you in a different way. And you have a big, you have a big sexually uh, harassing you in a different way. Yes. Meaning um, the boys in the class are, you know, being boys. Suggestive, right? Right. But there were a few, I went to Catholic school and there were a few priests that literally tried to corner me in specific spaces. And luckily I had a principal intervene mm. before anything got out of hand, but it was that mm. level of intensity every single day at school. And so I found my escape in writing and I found my escape in writing books. I wrote novels when okay, I was 12. Okay, so you found your escape through writing books. Say yes. more about that. Yes. Uh, growing up, my dad was very creative. He was a musician. So we grew up with a, a lot of music in the house. Um, Frank Sinatra, The Beatles. This was like my musical education as a kid, and I loved it. And as I got older, um, that was uh, the creative arts were such a, a place for me to heal and, and find you know, a sense of empowerment. And writing became a huge part of that. And I remember for a gift, I begged my parents to buy me a typewriter because I wanted a typewriter. I loved the sound of a typewriter. I thought it was really cool. (laughs) And I would sit after I'd finished homework and I would just sit up in my room and just write and write and write. And I wrote really violent stories. Really, like we're not my character at all, but I think I was trying to work through a lot of my emotions. Yeah, that was a lot of rage inside. I had a lot of anger and it it was a great outlet. And and I wrote, then I started writing a lot of poetry. 
And that was really interesting. And I still love to write poetry to so this day. So you had a cathartic type of yes. experience there. Yes. So when you're dealing with young ladies and they come up to you and they say, hey, yes. this stuff did happen to you. Mm -hmm. It is happening to me. Yes. What do you say to them? You know, when I worked as a therapist, I, I dealt with young women who were going through much worse than I ever went through. And I think part of therapy and part of um, finding yourself is finding yourself outside of the way in the world and the way that the world frames you and trying to reframe yourself. And so for me, that was, I found myself through the creative world. And so I really encourage Wonderful. a lot of people, uh, a lot of young girls to start being creative. Even if they, they say, oh, I'm a terrible writer. I don't know how to paint. Who cares? It's not even about that. No one ever has to read this. I journaled my whole life. It's, it's, it's about finding um, a place for your thoughts that you own, that you can reflect on, that you don't have to worry about how anyone else is perceiving you and so how you can start to shape who you want to be. So we help people understand, like you and I discussed earlier, that flowers don't compare themselves to other flowers. They just they bloom. Just bloom. Okay? And, and I try to let young women know um, that you can be a beautiful flower and other flowers around you can be just as beautiful. And, and that doesn't negate or take away from you. So and and the, there's a lot of competition, yeah. you know, in uh -huh. that in that sense. And so I think it's important that we focus on, you know, just because other things are beautiful around you, that has nothing to do with how beautiful you are. Well, beauty's an essence. It uh, is. It is. That's yeah. what Plato said. So, uh -huh. uh, so the idea is, is that what are the three things that takes a flower to bloom? Three things. Oh, I mean, you have to have water, mm -hmm. right? You have to have sunlight. Mm -hmm. And you have to have uh, soil or the Correct. earth. Mm -hmm. So when we practice this holistic type of mm -hmm. wellness, mm -hmm. we consider the water taking care of your physical body. Yeah. And we consider the sunlight, and I use 12-step terms, we call it the sunlight of the spirit. That mm -hmm. means a connection with something, yes. Yes. whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the soil is the environment, the people, places, things situations that you choose mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. place yourself in. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's really important because you have choices as you as you grow up, right? You have a lot of <laughs> you you begin to have more choices in in who and how you want to place yourself. So fortunately, you were you had a supportive environment that advocated for that and reinforced that. Mm -hmm. So do you remember you ever remember when you heard your recorded voice played back to you, Natalie? Yeah. How'd it sound? <laughs> I, you know, that's an interesting question. I, I think at first you're almost like, is that me? You know, do I sound like that? Um, especially when you've not really heard it before. It's an interesting thing. And sometimes it sounds like the, the way you thought it would, but it also doesn't. So sometimes we ask people to speak the words out loud. Mm -hmm. I am. Yes. I choose. Mm -hmm. And you and I talked earlier about, uh, young ladies in particular, not mm -hmm. putting a profile out about what they have to offer, which is so sad. But however, what are the requirements it takes to be with me? Right. Flipping the script, which I think is really challenging because we were talking about this a little bit before we started about, I think we're conditioned, women are, women are conditioned to be relational. We're supposed to be thinking we all the time, but it's okay to think about me and, and there is a difference between selfish and self-interested. You have to be self-interested in order to thrive in the world. Well, I'm sure that you've been on many jets flown <laughs> around. So when the flight attendant comes out and 
gives the flight, gives the oxygen mask instructions. Right. Who do they tell you to put it on first? Exactly. You have to put it on yourself first. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we irritate people and I really don't care because I'm not running the friendship club. (laughs) Uh, So we ask people, uh, to that this we suggest to them that it's not being a mama or a daddy or a brother or a sister or a friend or a partner or an employer uh, or an employee that defines who you are it's your values and your choices that then your non-negotiables that define who you are exactly because you have to look in the mirror and you have to be okay with the person that you see well who do you spend more time with other than yourself i, I agree Natalie? i know it's right you have to you have to get really comfortable with yeah, who you are yeah so that sounded like a tough transition for you it was. But you know, it's funny. That was a tough transition. And deciding not to go to medical school was a tough transition because <laughs> the medical school application process was the most challenging thing I've done academically. And I remember after that experience, I thought, if I can make it through sitting in those interviews with that terrifying panel of really important people staring at me, and they still wanted me at the end of that experience, I can do anything. And so I think it's really important that we challenge ourselves and get out of our comfort zone and do things, even uh, if we decide not to do them at the end of the day, to just say, I can. And say more I did. about that comfort zone, Natalie. Well, you know, I think it's really easy to just do sort of the bare minimum of living, you know, because life is hard, okay? <laughs> Relationships are hard. Work is hard. Everything can be difficult. But you can also choose to look at it as an adventure. I love your wording. So the idea is, is that, does any growth take place inside a comfort zone? No, I don't believe so. So our job is to frustrate people enough. Yes. We consider people like a balloon yes. with an infinite capacity for expansion. Yes. And we try to irritate them enough mm-hmm. that they bump up against their exactly against their comfort zone. And, and my question, sometimes I've had this conversation with just friends, and it's like, aren't you just bored? I mean, I just, I, I get bored after a while doing this. It's like, okay, I've mastered this level. It's like a video game, right? No, what's next? How do I level up here? <laughs> I want to do something new. I want to challenge myself. I want to feel something. You there know? is no end. There is no finish no, line. No, you just kind of continue to evolve. And, you know, I think that's what concerns me about what's going on in the world today is we're not allowing people to really evolve um, we're taking sometimes what people said many years ago and holding them into the same space. We're not allowing people to grow. And I and I think it's really important that we all acknowledge that we're hopefully not going to be the same people that we were 10 years ago. Hopefully we'll have grown into more compassionate and loving and interesting people, you know, and, and uh, people that can then give to others. So we talk about often how people differentiate between emotional mind choices and wise mind choices. Mm. So emotional mind is reactive. Mm-hmm. It's like a little kid at a right. counter at the grocery store mm-hmm. that grabs the shiny thing and won't yeah. let it go. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of times we make these reactive type of choices in life. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but emotions are wonderful. They color right. our world. They right. are our internal barometer. They tell me how you are, how I am. Mm-hmm. And then there's then there's logical minds, okay, rational mm-hmm. minds, and they're checkbook minds, black and white logic. And the best example that we give for a logical, rational mind is that Jim and Natalie defi- decide to feed the starving children. Mm-hmm. Logical choice, right? Mm-hmm. However, without an, adding any emotion to it, we spend the next six months trying to decide whether to feed the boys first or the girls first. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, and then we get into that wise mind where we learn how to respond rather than react. 
Right. Okay? We do that in this world. We call it cognitive distancing. Mm -hmm. And the Stoics call it studied indifference, a view from above, whatever you want to call it. Oh, everything's a buzzword. Okay? It's just repackaged. <laughs> everything's you know, just a hashtag. Nothing's really new. Uh, so, but then, then we get into that wise mind and people think wise mind choices would be the obvious ones, the no-brainer ones. Mm -hmm. Wise mind choices can be difficult and have pain attached to them. Absolutely. So tell us about some of these wise mind choices, particularly the medical school issue. Yeah. So, so getting back to the fact we were talking about a little earlier, just something inside of me saying not to do it. Um, maybe there was like, we were talking about the, the more authentic self, because I don't, I don't understand even to this day what really propelled me because I was on a path that would have made sense on paper, but I wouldn't have the life that I have now had I made those choices. And I, I don't think I would have grown as much as a, of a person had I made that choice because that map would have been laid out for me and it would have been a very straight road and it would have been a life that I think would have been fine. And I don't really want to live a life. It might have been fine. comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was the beginning of learning how to take risk for me. Taking risks. Yeah. That's wonderful. Most people stay in situations not because they're comfortable, because right. they're familiar. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's really important to, to be able to, to, to decipher, am I really happy here or is this just what I'm used to? Is this just, you know, the space in which I'm most comfortable or most familiar? So it sounds like you've learned how to speak to yourself like you were speaking to a friend. Yeah. And that's taken time because you were talking about the inner critic. Well, my inner critic was definitely, you know, probably that, that 12 year old, one of those 12 year old girls. Right. And, and over the years, and I really credit yoga and going to, uh, getting, going to get my master's in social work to learning how to tell her not to silence her because I don't think that's the, the, just telling her to sit down. Like you, you don't have to speak for me now. I'm in the adult here now and, and learning how to, um, listen to the authentic self versus the critic. Well, the idea is that when we help people understand that that voice comes from somewhere and it's, right. it's not them. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And the authentic self is you. So we try to, we don't, I don't teach thought suppression. I don't mm -hmm. teach thought blocking. Right. We can address that and say, yes, thank you for your input. However, yeah, here's exactly. what I choose to do. Exactly. You're not, I, or, or, or is how I like to say it, you're not in charge anymore. <laughs> I'm sure that there's been many meetings where you've been at, where you've had some unruly, whoever, and people come up with all these ideas. Then the person who was actually running the meeting will step and say, I heard each one of you. Thank you so much for your input. Mm -hmm. However, this is the direction we're going. Yes. And I I remember one of my teachers saying once, you know, you don't have to listen to every thought that pops into your head. You can acknowledge it, but you don't have to listen to it. And I thought that for me was like kind of mind blowing at the time well, when I heard that. This is what we help people do. We understand that, you know, our brains are nothing but masses of organic goo. <laughs> They're data repositories. Yes. Our minds are the things that shape, shift, sort, grade the thoughts. Mm -hmm. And our authentic selves, the I self, the myself, mm -hmm. is the thing that stands back and looks at it and chooses how much of this drama do you participate in. Right. And Just because you have a thought doesn't make it true. It, well, exactly. And, and learning that, I think, has been an ongoing process as well because we're just inundated with so much information anymore, too. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com. Com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in 
applying the colors of fishing without bait. Click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.